Welcome, everybody. It's Tony Caldwell, and welcome to another edition of the Uncaptive Agency, where we're talking about the future of insurance distribution. It is uh, May of 2021, as I'm talking with my guest today, Michael Jans from Cave Creek, Arizona, and we're talking about what we think is going to happen in the insurance distribution industry over the next three to five years. Probably everybody, Michael, that is listening to us today knows who you are from your insurance profit systems days and all of the work you've done in marketing and consulting to the independent insurance agency force for the last 25 or 30 years. But for those who don't know what you're doing right now, and by the way, welcome today, give us just a thumbnail sketch of what Michael Jans is up to today. Uh, what am I up to today really is not significantly different than what I've been up to for, like you said, 25 or 30 years, paying, paying attention to one question. You know, between you and I, Tony, and I don't know if anybody else is listening, but between you and I, this, this is not the question that I thought, you know, when I was growing up, I thought I'd be like focusing my time and attention on, but here we are, right? Um, and so, yeah, that question is um, that, that I keep pursuing is what makes independent insurance agencies grow. So, um, and what I've recognized is that, because I've been, like you said, I've been in the space for probably about 30 years. Um, When I got into the space, um, something that occurred to me, I was at that point, I was the executive vice president of the PIA affiliates on the Western side of the United States, is that um, there was a kind of a, uh, uh, the industry was a little bit of a one-trick pony when it came to organic growth, which was generally, if somebody wanted to grow, what did they do? Hire producers. Um, and the other elements of uh, organic growth, they just weren't really mature uh, in the industry. And so that was fascinating to me. I had been in a situation where uh, I had to grow or die and, uh, and when I first turned, it was when I was running the PIA, that particular, those affiliates were really in quite some trouble. And so I turned to um, the leaders of the association, independent insurance agents, I said, how do you, how do you grow, right? Because I needed to sell membership, I needed to sell E&O insurance, I needed to sell education. And the kind of answers I got were like, uh, well, you know, we've had, we got a great reputation or we take really good care of our people or we've been around since 1925. And I thought, that's it. <laughs> that's the best you could give me. Um, and so I, uh, I, I did, fortunately, crack the code on organic growth with the affiliates that I was working with, but then also began to share some of the insights that I had. So what am I doing now? Um, well, um, I, living outside of Cave Creek, uh, next to 3 million acres of national forest, enjoying a fairly quiet lifestyle, I sold my interest in uh, my uh, InsureTech agency revolution almost four years ago. I can't believe that. And, uh, and I, did, I took some time off other than maintaining some private clients and maintaining a mastermind group that would come here to my casita. Um, I really took some time off to reflect on what's happening in the industry. I, I uh, maintained my podcast, the Connected Insurance Podcast, and I just kept asking them the same question. What's happening in the industry? What are the trends and forces that are shaping the industry? What does that mean to the leadership of the agency system? And how should they behave? What should they do differently? So I've been doing that. And then very recently, I, uh, I realized that 
I could only reach so many people with private client relationships, um, which, which tend to be distributed between some insure techs and fast growth agencies. Um, but my time is limited. My fees were kind of, you know, maybe out of the reach of the average agency. So um, I, I wanted the, one last time, um, I, I wanted to make a difference in the industry. So I've launched um, a, what I call the next level organic growth program which guides people um, in a sequential path uh, from wherever they are right now to the next level. So that's what I'm up to. Okay. All right. Well, it sounds like it's the, uh, the theme is the same, but perhaps the music is richer and uh, fuller and more nuanced. I think, well, I think we're better. I mean, let's face it. You pay attention to something for 25 years um, you know, if, if, if this year isn't different than the last year, then you really weren't paying attention. So I think, I think we're delivering some really good strategies and tactics. So you mentioned that when you joined the PIA, you know, the, the, the industry was focused on growing through producers. And, you know, I talk to lots of agency owners who have lots and lots of questions about hiring and managing and compensating uh, producers. So, in many respects, I think that many folks in the industry still think that's the way to grow. Now, obviously, you taught a lot of people how to be marketers uh, as well as, as producers. But um, as you think about the future, uh, is doing this one at a time with human beings the best way to grow the way many agencies still seem to think? Or is it a whole new way of marketing? What, what, what's your opinion? Yeah, well, that's a great question, and and I'm going to be um, I'm I'm going to be really careful. I don't want to throw producers under the bus. I think that they uh, they provide uh, an outstanding service uh, to the market and to the industry. They provide um, advocacy, education, expertise, just like an agency does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and generally, they you know, and and they um, they also have to get new clients, right? And so, um, my my perspective on the producer is that uh, today's producer, the contemporary producer, the producer in the modern age of insurance, um, uh, well, they shouldn't be functioning like they did in 1995, right? Just like an agency shouldn't be functioning like they did in 1995 because the world around us has changed. Technology has changed, consumer behavior has changed. And so uh, I, still, uh, I still respect the producer. Uh, however, the producer um, can, like, like other small and medium businesses, they can um, they can do a lot of the same thing. So in other words, if a producer is responsible, let's say for uh, customer acquisition, well, they can they, they don't have to make cold calls um, as the only you know form of acquisition, right? They can create a presence in the marketplace. They can create value in the marketplace. Um, they can obviously market to the marketplace. They can communicate and, and attract attention, deliver value, and, and, and they can design a relatively simple marketing funnel that, that attracts people to them and draws them closer to them so that using technology and good content through that technology, people can, um, uh, good prospects can come to them not saying, hey, Tony, I want a free quote. It's, hey, Tony, what would it take to do business with you? Because I've already decided in my heart that you're the guy. And so from a, from a producer's point of view, that's, that's, a, uh, that's just pure beauty for customer acquisition. Closing ratios higher. 
um, and you can get better quality clients. But then after the customer acquisition is executed, well, that's, you know, like a, I think a lot of producers or a lot of agencies thinks that, like that's the touchdown, but really that's the scrimmage line. Like now we get to have fun. And so that relationship with the client um, becomes uh, the, the beginning of a process to generate maximum customer lifetime value, mm -hmm. right? And um, that, that customer lifetime value, uh, Bain did some research on this some, a few years ago that I thought was, was stunning. I mean, it kind of confirmed what I was seeing and feeling in the marketplace, but the numbers they put behind it were stunning. What they determined was that if you could earn the loyalty of an insurance client, they'd renew at 97%, they'd generate 2.5 referrals, they'd buy 25% uh, more insurance, um, and uh, they're uh, like literally six times more likely to buy another policy in the coming 12 months than a low loyalty client. So what they determined was that a, a highly loyal insurance client delivers seven times the lifetime value of a low loyalty client, and three times the lifetime value of a mid loyalty client. Well, when I, when I really sort of grasped the magnitude of that number, I thought, oh, okay, you, you want to make money in the insurance industry? Okay, you got to do two things and do them really, really well. One is you have to have a good lead generation system. And two, you've got a good, you need a good customer journey and a journey that, that creates loyalty and then stimulates the reward for that loyalty with referrals and account rounding and longer retention. You know, and so none of that's new and, it, uh, um, and it's perfectly common sense. It's hard to understand for me, you know, why so few people whose job, who get paid for selling insurance uh, in our industry are actually really uh, producers. You know, I was having dinner um, in Carmel the other night with my wife at a famous yet mediocre restaurant. And, um, and I was watching uh, the poor job that the, that the wait staff was doing. And, and um, you know, after having a, uh, a not very good meal, um, I got asked the typical question, which is, would you like some dessert? And I, and I wanted just to reach out to this poor girl and say, you know, that is the completely wrong question. You're not asking me the right question. I mean, you know, no, I don't want any dessert because you haven't made me want any. You know, uh, instead, why don't you do something with some showmanship to make it impossible for me to resist having uh, dessert? Because you know what? You're going to get 15% of however big my check is, um, or 20 if you're doing a better job. The, you know, I learned early uh, in high school as a waiter that the bigger the check, the more money I made because people were going to pay me what they were going to pay me based on what their bill was. And so I'm still bumfuzzled why people who get paid commission in the independent insurance agency industry don't understand that. You know, theoretically, they're better trained, better educated than a waiter was in this mediocre restaurant, but they still don't get the concept of, gosh, if I sell people more stuff, they, I get paid more. Why do you think that's so hard to understand I, I have a bit of a theory about the um, oh um, about what I think this problem is, um, and and I think it's because we're we're probably psychologically wired this way. Uh, when when we get a new customer, everybody gets excited about it, you know. So if the producer like you know brings in a big account, the principal might pat him on the back, and maybe if he's got a good relationship with the CSRs, you know, it's like hey, great job. 
Um, and yet, uh, you know, maybe the, that night, uh, 337 policies got downloaded into the agency management system and, and nobody cared, right? It's like, it, it was like, but, but, but when you think about it, hey, the well, I'll take what happened last night over what happened this afternoon with the new sale any day right. of the week. And so I think, um, you know, and the same thing happens on the inbound call, you know, let's say an account exec or a CSR, um, you know, gets an inbound call, maybe they do a good job, they follow the script, or they really stick with the philosophy of the agency. And, and boom, you know, uh, half an hour later, they, you know, they've got three policies. And boy, you know, it's like Sally or Nancy or Fred. Hey, great job. You know, maybe it goes on the whiteboard, uh, whiteboard or something. Three policies. That's great. Um, and so I think in general, there's just more um, because it's new. Uh, there's a shock of energy. Um, and yet, uh, where the real uh, the, where the real wealth and equity is developed is in the quiet stuff that um, doesn't ever like. There's very few parties around it. You know, there's not a lot of celebrations around it. It's that it's that slow, gradual work of building a a really great uh, customer journey, um, training um, people in the philosophy of the agency. Um, uh, helping people create deeper, longer relationships and all those secret things that happen at night when you're downloading uh, all of your customers. So, so the agency that wants to grow into the future, into a modern agency, what do they focus on first? Do they need to change the way they're paying people so that they reward folks for the results they want, which are some things you described? Or do they do that with technology and keep treating people the same? I mean, how does that, how does that change? In other words, um, you know, most customer service people who are frequently responsible in the agency for account rounding and upselling after the producers, you know, hit the first uh, first uh, uh, ball out of the park or whatever, they're typically paid primarily on uh, salary, not commission. And they're um, typically recruited for nurturing skills, much more so than sales skills. So, do, does the agency of the future need to change its philosophy about the kinds of folks it hires uh, in its service department to be successful? Or does it change the way it's paying them, both, something else? What do you, what do you think? Yeah, um, well, I'm not sure that there's a single answer to that, but uh, so I'll walk through the, the approaches that I've seen really matter um, and, and one that doesn't. Here's the one that doesn't. Um, you know, provide a little bump of an incentive, like, oh, bonus every time you get a cross sell, or we're gonna give you a little more commission. Um, and then and then think that's it. It's like, oh, we announced a new program and this is a program that's automatically going to help us grow and you're going to feel great about it. And the fact is, it doesn't. Um, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, the role of leadership. That program may be really useful um, if it's founded upon good principles. Um, but, uh, you know, that... Um, the, the coaching and the mentoring, the incentivizing, the encouragement, um, occasionally the termination when it's appropriate. That's the job of leadership that has to be part of their participation in the agency every single day. So, uh, so the, the incentives, useful, but I don't think anybody should like fool themselves into thinking like, oh, my nifty new program is going to change their psychology. Now, um, I, I think that uh, in my experience, the because um, I've trained thousands of CSRs um, and I trained uh, them in how to close more inbound calls, how to 
cross-sell more existing customers, how to generate more referrals, and how to deliver the kind of experience that retains clients longer, those four things. And in my experience, when you can really engage the heart and mind of, let's say, a CSR, uh, generally, they have a, um, uh, a psychological orientation that encourages them or compels them to take good care of people, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but if you say, hey, we're going to send you to sales training, they're like, no, I don't want to do sales training. That's not why I'm here. And so, and so it does require, um, I think it requires a, a real heart-to-heart -heart conversation around what's our mission? What's our purpose? What are we here to do? Um, well, without too much engagement, I think we'll all come to the conclusion, we're here to take care of our customers, which means protect them. That's our job, right? As professional, as professionals, it's to lead them to uh, make the best decisions they can about purchasing the protection that they need. And so, um, uh, you know, to, to, to like to have a conversation with a CSR about, hey, how, do, how would you feel or how do you feel? when a customer uh, has a gap and they have a claim and they get hurt by that claim, um, you know, maybe it really was uh, a, a serious, some serious damage to their income, certainly to their peace of mind. Uh, maybe they call their lawyer and their lawyer sends a, a magic letter to the agency that says, you know, we, th we, we, we think we should have been covered or something like that. How do you feel about that? They feel terrible about that. They don't want that to happen. Um, and so this is where I think the uh, kind of the, the dichotomy between, oh, we need to be a sales organization or a service organization really is a little bit fuzzy. It's maybe not quite the right metaphor. The metaphor I use is, is that we need to be a customer organization and we need to take care of customers. And, and the ethical thing, the ethical thing, just like a doctor's job is you know, to had they have an ethical responsibility to take care of your health. We have some ethical responsibility to take care of the protection that they've got. And so from that point of view, yes, I'm, I'm motivated to see that you've got the umbrella or, you know, what, whatever it is that you need that you're not thinking of right now. So I think so. So, uh, so like core to the entire thing. I mean, yes, we can talk about technology. We can talk about, you know, the, the technique but like core is this sort of the strategic philosophy, which is that it's like we're, we're in business to do one thing and one thing only protect as many people as we can, as well as we can. You know, it's really interesting. You talk about philosophy. Another way of saying that is, you know, what are your values or, um, you know, what's your mission? And um, I find that people give that short shrift. In fact, they don't even really think about it when they start their agency, it often is they operate their agency. Uh, or, you know, they, they felt like it's, they come up with some really formulaic sort of thing, but it doesn't come from the heart. It's not something they really thought through. Consequently, their culture is amorphous. Um, their mission is not defined. And then, you know, they fall back on the truisms or the platitudes, but, you know, what's your unique selling proposition? And it's, they say the same thing as everybody else because they haven't got anything else to say, which is we have great service and, you know. <laughs> All the same answers I got 25, 30 years yeah, ago. Exactly. So, so um, you know, we recently did a, um, a strategic plan at a bank that I'm the chairman of the board of, and, and we spent two days really getting clear about values. And it was a bizarre thing for some of the people, you know, like, I thought we were here to talk about, you know, how much we want to grow. Well, first, we got to get the foundation right. And, uh, and it really 
it was an interesting conversation because there were a lot of strong feelings elicited through the whole conversation over a couple of days about why are we here? You know, yeah, we want to make money, but how do we do that and why? And, and so in your work with agencies, do you think that um, that's why, I mean, is that where you begin and is it any different now than it was over the last 25 years or is it the same struggle? Well, I do think it's, it's, it's the same struggle in a very different world. Okay. So, you know, maybe, you know, 20 years ago, my most read report, I think it, it was online. My most downloaded report at that point in time was um, uh, a, a report I called uh, 21 ways to write a killer yellow pages ad. Okay. I remember that. Yeah, right. There you go. And so back, you know, back then I did a little bit of travel. Um, you know, we had conferences around the country and I'd check into the hotel. I'd pull out the yellow pages. I'd look under insurance and I'd say, oh, yeah, that's one of my guys. Right. Oh, yeah. OK. That guy's one of my guys because I could tell. I mean, my, you know, the um, the nature of the kind of advertising I was encouraging was just really radically different than the average which is, you know, kind of a, you know, case in point. Most agents, you know, said, oh, to the Yellow Pages rep, oh, you write the ad. Uh, you know, it's like, okay. Um, and so now, obviously, that's, uh, you know, that's the loneliest report in the world. No, nobody's asking for a copy of that one. Um, and so now we do live in a world where the, <clears throat> the, uh, the communication media are, um, myriad, you know, they're numerous um, and new ones every day. Um, and our competitors are using them really, really very effectively. Uh, our customers are using them every single day. Um, and so that's a skill set that's, guess what? It's no longer new, um, but it, you know, it is, it's, it, um, it uh, opens up huge opportunities for agencies if they can understand couple of things. Uh, the first, the power of contemporary technologies. And, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a learning curve. There's some things you've got to understand, but this isn't rocket science. It's not going to take four years of, you know, education to get there. We, there, right. there are a few things there. And then the other thing is um, the, uh, the messaging uh, that is delivered through those technologies and how you can how you can weave those things together and deliver those messages um, in many ways very automatically, um, and um, and and uh, actually amplify your sense of presence and amplify your sense of humanity, um, amplify that sense of transparency and realness, um, and you can do it in front of thousands or tens of thousands of people. Um, uh, really very quickly, very powerfully, and move them along uh, 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 an elegant customer journey. So, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit, it, uh, today's world, like uh, when I, you know, because yes, in, in my focus on organic growth, there are a few things that agencies need to learn that they didn't have to worry about 10 or 15 years ago, but that's just the nature of the world. And I think if we pay attention to them, they're not hard to learn. They're easy to execute. And the rewards are really very, uh, they're very rich. So, you know, you focused on organic growth for much of your career. And you've seen a lot of uh, people and a lot of different kinds of results. I'm curious, uh, set a bench line or benchmark for us um, and, and say, hey, if, if you're in this business seriously, um, 
what is uh what's the minimum acceptable level of performance for an agency from a standpoint of organic growth? Do you well, that, yeah, that, that, that that's an interesting question. I mean, you know that the the average agency I don't I don't have last year's figures yet, but I got the previous years from uh, Tom Duran over at uh, Reagan, and it was like four point six. Okay, for the previous year. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, that, you know, that's the that's not the organic growth number. That's the premium and commission growth number. Which <laughs> right. right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm doing my best to arrive at a number, and it and it may be too generous. Okay. okay. Um, and uh, now, you know, so now I just to put this in perspective, um, after I, you know, ten plus years after I launched my training program, Insurance Profit Systems and Quantum Club, I launched a, an InsurTech, a startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, 80 plus percent of startups fail. And so when you take that on, when you take that risk on, uh, you, you do it more or less with the full knowledge that um, 4.6% growth will not cut it, right? right. And so you, ha- you have to scale. You've got to go from zero to, uh, you know, now you got to take care of every, you know, you, you may not get paid, but you got to pay everybody who works for you and you got to take care of all your expenses and then you got to get it to the next level. And so that's a world where, uh, you know, doubling your growth annually, you, you, you know, maybe you'll be okay, but maybe not right now in an agency, double growth, that's, that's, that's just extremely rare. Um, however, um, you know, an acceptable number, t- tough to say, but I've worked with clients who have had, oh, let's say uh, 35% average annual growth for 10 plus years. Like I'm working with a client now, th- I think 13 years in a row, third, between 30 and 40. Um, maybe the fastest growing personal lines agency in the country, right? Because there's just not a lot of people that can pull that off. But with, you know, w- w- with focus and discipline and the right tools, that it's it, it you know this guy is not doing anything that nobody else can't do uh, you know he's just executing on it um that being said i like you know my my definition for scale in the independent insurance agency system is 25.89% per year because the ma- it's a magic number because if you grew that much every year for 10 years you'd be 10 times the size you are so right. if you got a 3 million dollar agency you know, by, by 2031, you could have a $30 million agency. That's possible at that growth rate. And that's, and that's high, but, um, you, you know, we, we take, take a look at, you know, there are four numbers that I ask people to take a look at. Um, and, and each one of them pertains to a different stage in the marketing, uh, in the, my four-stage marketing model, okay? Number one is, how many leads did we get? Well, if we have a system that gets more then we'll have more leads coming to the second stage, which is conversion. How many of them did we turn into customers? Well, you know, if we train our account executives and CSRs and provide sales training for the producers and manage them well, well, that number goes up. And then the third number is what's our policy per customer count or an alternate number, what's our revenue per customer. But let's say we're measuring policy per customer. Well, if we're really generating loyalty and we are uh, stimulating a response to that loyalty with um, cross-sell campaigns, annual reviews, um, uh, 
uh, increase policy sale at the point of sale, uh, increase, uh, you know, cross-selling at the point of service. There's, you know, a lot we can do there. And then the fourth stage, um, R, if we can retain, if we can increase our retention by, uh, by nurturing, by engaging, by communicating, by demonstrating value, by, by making, and but maybe by providing enough innovation that the that your customers are thinking, no, I wouldn't go anywhere else. I mean, that's that's the relationship I have with the agency that's been taking care of me for twenty plus years, right? No, I don't want to go anywhere else. If you can if you can tweak those four, you don't even have to turn them upside down and go crazy with it. If you tweak all four of those numbers, um, you, you will have dramatic growth compared to the previous year. So, you know, I'm well known as an optimist and we started our conversation actually before we started recording it about, you know, an optimistic view that we both share about the future of the industry. So I wanted just to set, set that as a caveat, but also to say, you know, I have, a, I have a theory about the next four or five years and it is that a lot of agencies that are now in business won't be. Um, and that'll happen for two reasons. One, some of them are going to get bought up. The acquisition binge is just going nuts. I mean, Acrosure raised three and a half billion dollars last month, and you know they're just one of dozens of people buying agencies. So that that that'll shrink the. But what that means is the job gets tougher for every agency that doesn't get bought out because they're bringing huge amounts of talent, ability, and capital to the to the to the dance. So for an agency to thrive in the future, my theory is they have to be better than in the past. They can't get away with the same kinds of stuff that they've got away with in the, in the past. And so I also believe this, that you can't hit what you don't aim at. And so one of the things I see agents not doing is setting, you know, really uh, clear goals for things like growth. And then the, the, the corollary to that is that, you know, uh, people like, uh, Elon Musk, for example, I mean, he's a, uh, you know, he got where he got and other people get where they get because they set big goals, big, hairy, audacious goals. And so there's nothing wrong with that because you can't hit what you don't aim at. So your 25%, 24.89% goal as a uh, or number for organic growth is really interesting. The other thing I, you know, so I think that if you can't set a goal of 15 to 20% over a decade, which means probably in the first three years of your business, you've got to be growing 40%, 35 to 50% per year in the first three years. And maybe you slow that down to 35 to you know 25%, and then maybe 15 to 20 after that. If you don't set those kinds of goals, you don't develop the capabilities to be competitive into the future because the game gets harder, not easier. Um, that's my thought. What do you think of that? I, I think that the <clears throat> the future of the industry belongs to the to the ones who know how to grow. Um, you know, Tony, uh, we, you know, ne- neither of us are kids in this industry. Um, I, I you know I recall um, conversation I had with George Nordhaus, a name you very likely remember. Okay, this is back when George was quite active, right? Um, and, uh, and he said when, you know, when he got cranking, right. Um, he, he had a list of 80,000, he figured there were reasonably 80,000 independent insurance agencies. Now, you know, the, so back in the seventies, let's say, right, okay. Right. Um, now we went through, uh, we went through a, um, a soft market and a hard market. Uh, we went through, um, uh, the rise of a new generation, the baby boomers, uh, and we went through, 
um, oh, a, a, it's kind of a major technological challenge. It seems minor now, but back then, no. Uh, you know, agency principals were having to decide, are we going to get computers? Yeah. And then they were showing up at, you know, PIA meetings or big I meetings, and there would be like a battle of the agency management systems, mm -hmm. right? And now they had to decide, oh my goodness, you know, are, are we going to get one of those things, right? So there were but now we're in a really similar situation, major technological challenges. We need to learn a lot of new technology. There's a lot of them. Uh, we have a rising new generation. Um, consumer behavior has changed. Um, and, you know, it's always a little bit uh, difficult to predict what the pricing is going to be. But, you know, we're, it, this is a similar situation. So I think it's not unlikely we'll see some contraction. Um, one, um, well, the boomers are going to sell. So we're going to see a lot of that. Now, um, at the street level, it doesn't look that different yet. That's, you know, to, to, you know, to the, at the street level, whether an agency is owned, you know, by that, by, by my neighbor, or he sold to some guy in Michigan, you know, that, that runs a private equity firm, the customer may not know that. Uh, and uh, uh, however, at some point, I'm expecting somebody to, like for, for it to be dramatically different. I, I, but I just haven't seen it. I think so far we're seeing the private equity firms, um, oh, you know, really grow as a financial play, right? Acquire and flip and acquire and flip. Um, but at some point, because um, <clears throat> they're, they're not seeing very positive results on organic growth. In fact, I, I've heard from reliable sources that um, there may be, uh, you know, some of them are experiencing negative organic growth while, you know, the uh, like very positive inorganic growth. Right. Um, but at some point, uh, those agencies, uh, you know, that that model matures and they've got to run real businesses with uh, and, and really invest in their customer relationships. Uh, we got we better buckle, you know, the average total, the independent, you know, the one who's not owned, they, they now is the time for them to um, put their growth plan together, acquire the skills, uh, examine the technologies and put a plan together that, um, uh, you know, that's, that's reliable for organic growth or, or it'll be too late. Yeah. One of the things that um, it seems to me that agencies, successful agencies have got to do better at uh, going forward than they have in the past is they've got to be better business people because first of all, the risks are bigger and the competition is stronger. And the things you've been talking about, like you know, the planning and really getting very highly uh, focused in on the four or five things that cause you to grow and the people that you have to have to do that, all those things, the leadership you talked about earlier, all of that implies that you've gotta be a better business person for the next generation of leadership in an agency than in the last generation of leadership in an agency. So, um, you know, just, you know, as you talk to folks in the business that are coming up and the folks that you're dealing with, uh, maybe even in a consulting uh, way, do you see that these are better, sharper, more skilled business people or are they people still trying to catch up to where the future needs them to be? Well, um, I'm not sure that they're like magically that this generation's better. Um, uh, but, I, but, you know, to case in point, you know, when I reflect back on, um, you know, the, 
agencies that I've worked with that just really did scale, right? I mean, they, they just, they, they really grew. And maybe, maybe, you know, they had started this before they had a relationship with me. That was irrelevant. But like the one distinction that I, that I saw common among those who during the course of their, um, you know, of their career, they 10x or more, right? They had a small agency and then they had a really big, maybe dominated the state or something like that, or dominated niches. Um, the big distinction was that they really perceived of themselves as entrepreneurs or what I would call an insurerpreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, first and foremost, and, and many of those super fast growth agencies had principals who would say, um, I haven't sold a policy in 25 years. And, 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 and 25 years ago, they were small. So, uh, you know, there was an early recognition that the business of building systems that run the business mm-hmm. was ultimately more important than um, selling a policy. And, yeah, and so, yeah, I, I, honestly, I think that people have the same challenges uh, and there are lots of distractions and, you know, like the, the, a startup or smaller agency, that principal is wearing 17 different hats, but one of them has to be insurepreneur. They have to be a, a, a system builder. You know, uh, you've mentioned uh, 10xing a couple of different times, and I, I think when I hear that term, I always think of uh, Dan Sullivan, who is someone you know well, uh, and uh, been <laughs> for a long time. And he's he said many years ago that it's easier easier to grow ten times than two times. And uh, you know, when I first heard that, I thought, well, he's speaking he's speaking hyperbolically, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, you know, and then I asked him one day, and I said that to him, and he goes, "No, I'm serious." And and, he, and then he explained. Um, and Dan runs an organization called the Strategic Coach, which trains entrepreneurs. Right, that when you set out to grow ten times, you have to do things differently than if you're going to grow mm-hmm. two times. And and the whole idea is, do you have a linear mindset or do you have an exponential mindset? And what and it's back to what you accept or what you set as your goals. You know, do you set linear goals or do you set really big, uh, hairy, audacious, exponential goals? You know, I just, I don't know if you've had this experience in your life, Michael, but I, in mine, when I set goals, they tend to happen. And so uh, earlier in my life, I thought, you know, I'm not setting very good goals because I keep hitting them. And so I need to set them. <laughs> then I hit those two. And, and what happens is if you're goal focused, okay, is you just, you do what's required to hit the goal. Right. And, and it's often not. And it, it's, I think this would go back to something, you know, Dan Sullivan's point. It's uh-huh. really never like the guy who wants to grow, uh, you know, 10 times as, as the size. Uh, he doesn't get there because he works <clears throat> 10 times more. No. He builds a different system. That's right. So, so and, he, and he looks for, you know, in, in, in the world in which he's, you know, operating, where are the points of leverage? You know, where where can I put in a unit of of of, of input into the system and get ten units back? Mm-hmm. And most people uh, they're just too busy, um, and, and so there's a, you know there is a <clears throat> um, it, it's all it's almost as if the uh, you know the demands of day to day operations are the enemy of growth because they keep wanting you to come back in and take care of the details. And growth wants you to go build a system 
that takes care of those details for you. Yeah. So let's help out the guy who's sitting out there thinking, okay, I, you know, I, I want to do this. I want to build a really significant business. You know, how do I, how do I, uh, you know, how do I do that? So what's your best advice? Okay. You want to be an insurance entrepreneur or an insurer? Insurepreneur? Insurepreneur. <laughs> it's uh, not in the dictionary. It's in the Michael Jans dictionary. Yeah. I, I had a, I had a friend years ago that sold uh, manure and he was the manure entrepreneur. So I'm a little <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, well. so, so uh, all right. Uh, so you've got this agency and you're wearing 17 hats. The most important <laughs> hat that you're wearing is the entrepreneur hat, the business owner hat, the business person hat. But you're doing all these other things. What's the minimum amount of time in your work week should you spend on the business rather than in the business? Give them a, something to tar- a target to hit. I think this is this is the approach, um, you know, like get, gaining control, mastering control of your time. That's really critical. And, and there are some tricks and techniques that I've seen work really, really well over time with that. So I'll, I'll share a couple of them. Uh, w- one is a little technique that I've been like teaching for 20 years. And it just really, a lot of people just really glom- glommed onto it. I call it the rule of 46. And essentially all this says is at the end of a month, look back at everything you did that month and see if you can find 5% that you can eliminate, automate, or delegate. That's it. 5%. And the typical entrepreneur is working too many hours, which leads to burnout. So if you take 5% and do that for a month, right? Your overall amount of time, you know, will ideally it'll shrink. So you have a little more free time for your to clear your mind, Um, but you'll free up 46 percent of your time in one year. Now, the average guy thinking, gosh, if I had half my time free right now, I'd be devoting it to really cool stuff. Okay, so so even if you took, you know, like, let's say let's say it's out of a 40 hour week and you take, you know, five percent. So now you discovered two hours. Right. Start there two hours totally focused on building systems with high leverage, right? So focus on marketing, uh, focus on um, building your team, uh, focus on reviewing and designing the internal systems that get stuff done and then take it from there. Um, And then the other thing uh, that I I really encourage is that, you know, if, if growth is important to you, um, then, and, um, uh, you know, most people, I mean, everybody's biology is going to be a little bit differently, but, you know, in, in my world, for example, like the, uh, the hours, you know, the, between when I get to the casita and do work for like the next two hours, you know, till let's say 10 30 or 11, my, my, uh, capacity to produce is just much better than it is in the afternoon. Right. So what am I going to do in the morning? I'm going to focus on marketing. I'm going to focus on growth. I'm going to focus on the creative activities that, that the innovation, those things. And so I, I do suggest that people who really care about growth, they look at their day, they see when their energy is just always typically the highest and schedule an appointment with themselves and growth. Yep. And, and don't let that one get sucked up into, um, you know, putting fires out for everybody because it feels so good. I mean, that's kind of the downside is like, oh, I can solve everybody's problems because I'm so good at insurance or blah, blah, blah. Right. And then everybody's like, oh, Michael, you're my hero. You're my fireman. You put a fire out. And, and it's great. By the end of the day, you've maybe put fires out, but you haven't grown the agency. So th- those are the 
kind of that's that's my practical uh, strategy for dealing with that stuff. Okay, good. Uh, I like that. Um, as you say, there's a lot of different ways to go about doing this. I think part of it is picking one and sticking with it. But um, uh, so let's see if we can bring this uh, home a little bit. So we're looking at the next five years. Uh, lots of challenges uh, in the business, but you've been around for a long time. I know you're, not, <laughs> yeah, uh, but you've seen a lot, and you and you're looking, peering, you know, over the over the edge at the future. I mean, if you had a if you had a 22 year old uh, child uh, getting ready to launch, would, would you recommend the independent agency uh, business to them if they were? I, I would say if they were suited for the entrepreneurial yeah. life, yes. Um, I'm pretty bullish on it, but I also uh, I think. It's not um, unlikely that we'll see some disruption, particularly in the down market where the policies uh, are simpler and the client's needs are simpler. We could see some disruption there. We could see some loss of market share there. But in general, um, if uh, it's sort of at the truly at the professional level and moving up market, uh, I think it's um, yeah. I think I you know the the you know, you know that um, you know people have been ringing you know the the funeral bells for the yeah. independent agent you know ever since we've been in this business right right. Um, but uh, you know it um, in spite of so they they threw the internet at us right and they said that was going to disintermediate it. Yep. And we were going to be getting knocked out of business. It's an industry that's been just remarkably persistent. The agency part of the industry mm-hmm. has been persistent. And I think we're a very long ways away from a replacement for the, the uh, advocacy, the um, authority, the education, um, and, uh, and the other thing, um, which is, uh, and this is more important than I think we often recognize the, the humanity, the connectedness, the peace of mind that a client gets from feeling like I'm, I'm being taken care of by people. Uh, I'm in a, tri- you know, we're a tribal species. It's just the nature of, you know, of the human being. And so being part of a tribe where we're really, uh, this is why being, um, you know, feeling like you're part of it, like, the, you know, you're connected in it, not just a transactional, yeah, I bought my policy there, but like you're really part of it. Um, I think that has huge uh, financial benefits for the growth of the agency. Yeah. Well, I join you in your optimism. And, and, I, and I do think uh, your last point is probably, in my view, it's the most important thing to build on if you're building an agency for the future, because over the last couple of decades, it seems to me that the industry has gone very transactional. Everyone's trying to be transactional. And that's exactly the opposite of what's going to be required to be successful in the future, because people to your point, increasingly have fewer and fewer human connections because of technology. And so the ones that they do have become more and more valuable to them. And so if you want to have a customer for life, make a friend. Um, right. Yeah. And, yeah. And that used to be, uh, you know, that was how you built your book of business and then your business. And I think we're going to be returning to that um, even more. In yeah. The- but, well, but, but I think that there, there's a, um, an, a difference uh, kind of a magnitude now. Because back in the day, you know, a, a producer, for example, he'd have, you know, relationships with, you know, measured in the hundreds, okay? Right. But, you know, there's uh, some anthropological uh, uh, study around, oh, you know, the, 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 the kind of the, the conclusion was that primates, of which we're one, you know, we can have like, um, 
reasonably close relationships with 141 people. But beyond that, you know, it just gets to be kind of ridiculous. But now um, we can have relationships potentially with thousands that feel like there's a lot of substance there. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we know they're not quite the same, but they can have a lot of substance and a lot of value. And then when, let's say, Tony, you and I have a conversation like this. Okay, so when, when was the last time you and I spoke other than the podcast? It was like 20 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but perhaps if you've read some stuff, saw some videos, uh, you know, heard about me, uh, got, who knows, got my newsletter, whatever. Then when we have a real, like a face-to-face, and this one is face-to-face with on screens, right? right. It, uh, you know what? Um, when, when those conversations surface, um, they really can feel quite intimate. And mm-hmm. so technology uh, allows the savvy insurance marketer to, um, to create depth of relationship. And then when, when it's time for a phone call or a visit, um, they can just be remarkably powerful. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you've shared a lot of uh, really practical um, uh, thinking and advice. And hopefully there's some people out there who are paying a lot of attention to this. And and if they want more of it, they know how to get a hold of you, right? Um, uh, well, they can, they can visit Google, my website. Lines, and he's everywhere on the internet. Uh, I don't know. I'm the <laughs> no, but you're easy to find. And, yeah. uh, you know, marketing for the modern age of insurance is, is one of your uh, uh, vehicles and entities. And uh, you've been a coach to really successful insurance, per- however you say that. I'm, I'm going to have to go the Insurepreneur. <laughs> yeah, insurepreneurs for a really long time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, one of the things, just as a sort of a parting thought that I've noticed is that really successful people have a coach. I mean, just like really good athletes all have coaches. I mean, Tiger Woods has had a bunch of coaches, you know, I mean, as an example. Yeah. Uh, and so coaching is so important to maximizing your own potential. And, um, you know, you're, you're, you're someone who's coached a lot of really outstanding performers and you're still available to do that. And I hope folks will reach out to you uh, if they want to have a further conversation, but I really appreciate our time today. Love talking to you. Yeah. It was, uh, fun. You. I mean, I love being on your podcast, totally different conversation. Um, always good to connect with you, Tony. It, it is. So, uh, anyway, enjoy, Enjoy the rest of your week, and thanks for being with me. I'm talking to independent agency owners about this all the time. If you'd like to have a more personalized conversation, click on the button or the link in the description, and we'll make that happen. You can also reach out to me at tonycaldwell.net contact.